So um, this evening I'd like to offer some reflections on dukkha. Why are we smiling? Yeah, it's interesting how this today it sort of popped up quite without people knowing that this was my theme, and um, one person was saying just like. You know, I've really, really been appreciating dukkha. <laughs> I was, well, what? <laughs> so I just was. I said, um, "What do you mean? Do you mean you know, like app- appreciate as in like or enjoy?" And they said, "Oh no, no, um, a sort of a, a gladness at knowing." that dukkha happens, that, that it is it's true, <laughs> that life, life has this element of difficulty or unsatisfactoriness or, yeah, and, and actually there were three of us, three of us, just shared a little moment around this and so I wanted to kind of just open with that because I feel that obviously I can say very little about this great and central theme in the teachings and in our experience and how in many ways I think everything that we're doing here is really um, about this, about how we understand, how we can understand more and more deeply, more and more thoroughly in our experience know what this is pointing to and through that understanding actually understand and perhaps yeah practice and perhaps at times realize you know the the ending of that aspect of dukkha the stress the this this being in in struggle this being this friction this 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 uh that aspect of dukkha, we might say, that is um, sometimes referred to as optional. I don't quite know. I, it doesn't quite quite do it for me, but it's that sense of the possibility. It's like so. I'd like in this talk to to say a little bit about what I just want to pick out of two of the meanings or two of the aspects of this um, this dukkha which um, I think, yeah, we'll see. I don't know if this will fit with your understanding, but it's something I've been tuning into more recently. You found it very helpful. And that is that sense of um, one aspect of dukkha being this, um, uh, as a a universal characteristic. So for those of you who've just arrived, this is actually number two in a series of three talks on the three characteristics. So last week we talked a bit, explored a little bit about Anicca, impermanence. And so this week I wanted to, yeah, kind of just touch on this aspect of experience, isn't it? This this aspect of, 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 of our conditioned experience of, of this unsatisfactoriness, this sense of the, the fact that in a way that because everything is so unstable and changing, um, it cannot it cannot be cannot be grasped, cannot be 
a home cannot be um, cannot provide any kind of lasting satisfaction you know and I know you all know this and I know it but doesn't it take a lot of repeated (laughs) reflection practice again and again and how to actually again to to fully comprehend that Um, yeah I mean that's 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 a lot I mean that's a lot to comprehend and I so anyway, so I want to talk about that um, part, and then I want to talk a little bit about the part, the the aspect, if you like, of dukkha, which is more about that um, stress that's produced by craving, grasping, clinging. So my sense is, and it's again, I, I don't, I hope this will make sense. It's for you to explore or to look into your own understanding about that. Actually, um, these two aspects or ways of looking at dukkha actually really support each other when we find ways of practicing with them opening to them understanding them so that actually that a deeper or a deepening strengthening sense of actually you know phenomena it's all like no mm -hmm, nothing no it's all a bit not very reliable (laughs) and that actually that undermines the grasping and the clinging that understanding that seeing that knowing it's like actually helps to maybe maybe that we don't grasp grasp quite so much or quite so we're not quite so convinced that it's going to work you know we kind of know you know, we keep eating the chocolate, but some part of us knows this is not the answer. It's very nice, but it is not the, it's not the way to end dukkha. So a simple, silly example in a way. Um, but, but yeah, so that this understanding, and I, I want to talk a little bit about how we might um, cultivate that that awareness, that that wisdom, that way of seeing, that way of understanding our experience. Because, of course, it can happen naturally, doesn't it? And actually, this is one kind of way of approaching all this. It's just to say, just keep cultivating the wholesome qualities and let all the, the insights take care of themselves. You know, it will become apparent. It Things will reveal themselves. You know, the... the the fabric of reality will will become known through the power and strength and depth of the of the awakening factors, for example, of 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 mindfulness and all those other factors, right? So we can we can have that approach of simply all we're doing is we're just you know taking care of the the helpful conditions and we just allow the insight to, to emerge to grow. Um, but also perhaps really helpful at times to to um, practice, to make it also an intentional reflection. And the Buddha talked about three kinds of learning. You may be familiar with this. I think very, very helpful with regard to any of our practice, but um, particularly where there are any you know these sort of concepts. so so we learn, we we, Pariyati, we we hear it, um, and then patipati, we understand and apply it, and 
Pativeda, which I've trans- sort of translated as it takes us beyond ourselves. So there's the the transformation of the realizations that, um, yeah, take us beyond our sense of, of limited um, and sort of, yeah, the unknown world. So three kinds of learning perhaps that we can can see, can take care of and um, see in our experience and our, our practice. And the other way around, to pick up where I was, um, how I want to talk a little bit again about just how we can, how an awareness of and a practice directly with the experience, this, this grasping, this, this experience, whatever you want to call it, that experience of, of clinging, craving, grasping, that, that experience, that contraction, and how actually by bringing wisdom, care yeah, to that, it's like, oh, that can relax a little bit, and then things are in a way allowed to be unsatisfactory yeah so that what if that makes sense it kind of works both both kinds of reflection both kinds of practice and kind of support each other that actually you know that sense of when when the the grasping of the contraction like oh you know it eases a little bit or even just in the recognition of it as that actually can be a big shift and then so oh Something there, yeah, about what what we're kind of contracted around. It's like, well, it's just, you know, an unsatisfactory set of conditions that's just going to change into another unsatisfactory set of conditions. (laughs) And interestingly, and again, I don't know what your experience of this is, that that this kind of reflection, I I find that there's a kind of lightning and a joy and a kind of like a relief that can come from this kind of direct reflection or direct practice in this in this kind of way Um, but also I I, in in speaking about dukkha from these two angles I also I yeah I'm not quite sure how to do this I I wanted to um, I wanted to acknowledge um, just maybe pausing for a moment and acknowledging the depth and the breadth of suffering in this world amongst, you know, in, in ourselves and others here and, and in the world and Um, just the the enormity of that and somehow I just I wanted to somehow that this that this this talk or these reflections or practice or time together be in the service of ameliorating or even ending some of that suffering and that the this practice these teachings um motivated by compassion right? so all, all taught f- out of compassion for beings and so something about I, I just yeah I wanted to kind of frame this as a 
as a reflective, as a sort of reflective mm, process, but somehow in the service of compassion. So I don't know. I if 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 you want to again, sometimes you know. I said just let the talk sort of arise and pass, and that rather than grasping at the ideas, just have a sense of. What, what would it be like maybe to just be here and listen and be present with a sense of may this be, may these reflections be, su- be support to the alleviation and ending of suffering, you know, even if that doesn't happen now in an obvious way, but almost also as an offering, as an offering um, that these, pra- these practices and these reflections are not... You know, they're not intellectual exercises. They, they, they're for our actual experience and for whatever it is we meet in the world and in others. And, and uh, all of that. So, so kind of coming back to this sense of looking into our direct experience and the way these three kinds of seeing, three kinds of understanding of anicca, dukkha and anatta, which I'll talk a bit more about next week, are in the service of our healing, of, of awakening, of uh, the arising of, of wisdom. And that they are wisdom. So um, I want to share with you a passage from the Buddha, from Samyutta Nikaya. And it's in this book, which is in the library, in the, in the section on shining the light of wisdom. Um, page 342. So... Um, Yes, I'll just I'll just read this. I just want to acknowledge that I am changing a word. Um, bow to the Buddha. I hope he doesn't mind. M- I'm changing monks to practitioners. Practitioners, form is impermanent. What is impermanent is suffering. What is suffering is non-self. What is non-self should be seen as it really is with correct wisdom thus. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. When one sees thus as it really is, with correct wisdom, the mind becomes dispassionate and is liberated from the taints by non-clinging. So, I'm not going to read the rest, but it's the same for feelings, perceptions, volitional formations and consciousness. 
So sometimes I practice this with just sort of, you know, whatever you're feeling right now, just, just very gentle kind of, can I, can I sense the anicca, the impermanence, the changingness of this, uh, you know, maybe it's a bodily sensation or a sound or whatever is happening, yeah. Can I sense its unsatisfactoriness? Not, yeah, just, ah. Nowhere here to um, satisfy that hunger, thirst for having, forgetting, for security. And can I sense somehow that maybe that sense of, oh, this doesn't belong to anyone, or it's, it's a different word, insubstantial, sometimes I think is it's that sense of, oh, I can't quite, where is it? No, it's sort of unfindability, almost. So sometimes I just use this, and, and sometimes it's helpful to go through each of the five aggregates, kind of with this just, whatever you can feel or find or know of them in your in your experience. Just in a way... And again, depending on the depth of our samadhi, the strength of our mindfulness, you know, again, the benefit is going to be different. My sense is that with these sort, the, with this sort of practice, that um, it's almost always helpful, even if mind is really not very still. Actually, again, maybe you check this out in your own experience that. And I did used to, I did this for a while on retreat. I would actually go through each of the aggregates, like when I was really upset, and I would walk. I think big on walking, and I would I would like go through the upset when I form. Yeah, mm-hmm, just, you know, feeling the body particularly, and and then we'd go feeling. Mm-hmm, definitely, yes. <laughs> As happening, and I would just go through. Sometimes go through each of the aggregates, just just several times, and I would find it very calming. I mean, not this isn't a magic wand. None of these are, but just as a as a way of understanding again that second kind of learning, we can understand and apply. And the more often we do that, there's a sort of repetition that then, as or when. Um, the samadhi is deeper, the mind is very clear. These uh, characteristics of these, this aspect of the nature of phenomena becomes more and more clear, more and more deeply, subtly, and more, and that, how that, and then allows perhaps deeper openings or insights into the way experiences is built, is built and fabricated. And so then we're into the emptiness kind of area but this is so this has great potential if you like to me from very you could say just immediate pragmatic you know not very subtle (laughs) but still very useful and very relevant and then all the way through perhaps to the very very refined you know so we applying so you know the buddha would always say you know you apply you apply these perceptions to these these um ways of seeing these this wisdom to 
everything, every experience, however wonderful, terrible, refined, coarse, yeah. So in a way it's always relevant. So I just wanted to share that. Um, let's see. So another um, teaching I wanted to share, like I did, where is it, last week, um, from Ajahn Chah, the book I've been reading a bit around these themes. It's in the library, Everything Arises, Everything Falls Away. I read a little bit last week about Anicca. So I wanted to share a bit, again, of, of his, his um, unique way of expressing things and uh, pointing to, again, the importance and the power of uh, engaging with this, um, this great theme, with this great um, uh, potentially liberating aspect of our experience when we, when we turn to it, when we, when we allow it to be, um, yeah, an opportunity for uh, compassion and wisdom to arise. So, so here we are, here's Ajahn Chah. There is difficulty in practice, but in anything we undertake, we, ha- we have to pass through difficulty to reach ease. In Dharma practice, we begin with the truth of dukkha, the pervasive unsatisfactoriness of existence. But as soon as we experience this, we lose heart. We don't want to look at it. Dukkha really is the truth, but we want to get round it somehow. It's similar to the way we don't like to look at old people, but prefer to look at the young and attractive. If we don't want to look at dukkha, we will never understand dukkha, no matter how long we live. If we allow ourselves to face it, then we will start to seek a way out of it. If we're trying to go somewhere and the road is blocked, we will think about how to make a pathway. Working at it, day after day, we can get through. When we encounter problems, we develop wisdom like this. Without seeing dukkha, we don't really look into and resolve our problems. We just bear with them or pass them by indifferently. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that... This is... You know, and I know it, it's... it's uh, I remember the first re- retreats I, I went on. You know, I don't remember a word that was said, actually. It was all a bit of a blur, a long time ago at this point also. But the one thing I really, really registered, and perhaps, I don't know, this is different for different people, and that, that when I entered this space, it was a retreat at Gaia House, was my first encounter with any kind of meditation or Buddhism. Just went down there, and, and the title, I've sort of told, some of you might have heard this, me say this before, the title was completely misunderstood by me. It was Meditation and Living a Full Life. And at that point in my life, I was doing 59 things every day, and so I thought, great, it's going to help me do 61 things every day. 
Um, <laughs> and of course, I discovered that's not quite what was meant. <laughs> not there was anything wrong with doing 59 things a day, but it was something rather different that was in that was meant, and that. Again, my, my experience was very much that here was finally a place, a refuge, where I could feel pain, suffering, feel the residue of, you know, the, the residues of that built up from life because nobody in Guy House was prodding me, but it was suddenly having that space. And at this, uh, at the, for me, at the same time, I was entering therapy, so I had that support outside in the world and then I had this place where I could come and and sob for you know hours at a time well and I feel like once um at Guy House was part of this big teacher trust sort of meeting and we went round and said all the the different things that we, we each person said something they valued about Gaia House and I they're all saying very different things and for me when it came my turn I was just very naturally found myself saying, you know, well, my life has been very, very strongly marked by dukkha. And here I found some help with that. Which I, I had not somehow found. So I really, I, um, yeah, just that sense of how in different ways, perhaps in communities and different aspects of our life, different friends, different places where we find we find support to to open to this great this great truth in ways that are actually liberating and supportive and healing. But it's it's quite a journey, isn't it? Quite a journey. <laughs> So, um, let's see, maybe I'll move on. So, right, yes. So I want to talk a little bit about this practice, which I was just touching on after reading the, the, the Buddha's words, of how we can, as a practice, sometimes maybe devote periods of time, a sitting, a whole retreat, to... to um, Perceiving directly or seeing, it's this um, way of practicing very much pioneered by, well, lots of people actually, but um, Rob Babea in his book, Seeing That Freeze, is in the library. So if you want to check it out, this is very much inspired by, by his sharing and also by my own practice. And so, so... The experiment, in a way, or the, the, the practice, is to see, is just, again, for, it can be for a, a meal or a, just a, a, a period of, yeah, short period of time or a sitting where you just see what's it, what is it like to either focus on one area of experience. You know, it might be mental impressions you know, or it might be um, bodily sensations or it might be sounds and just very gently, quietly, softly in the mind kind of unsatisfactory just almost as a little whisper I mean I when, I when I've practiced with this recently I've actually found it more helpful to 
um, have a sense of saying saying the word unsatisfying, like that kind of reflection I was saying earlier. It's like it can't, oh, this can't satisfy, not able to satisfy, but you might find your own. And I, I was recently doing this um, and at, in a, well, maybe I'll just confess, I feel a bit sort of like I went swimming and I'm sorry because you can't go swimming, so sorry, but I'm not on retreat so I can go swimming. Oh dear, now I feel bad for having said that. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's where it was I, I was practicing this. Um, and it was really interesting because for me that's very, very pleasant. There's a lot of very pleasant sensations, pleasant Vedana, pleasant, you know, pleasant, pleasant. It's very pleasant, very pleasant. And then, oh, unpleasant thought, you know, the, the odd unpleasant thought. And then, and as I just carried on, I must have been about an hour just keeping this little reflection going, unsatisfying, unsatisfying. Yeah, it's like some part of my mind started to really wake up and and get happy about that, which is sort of counterintuitive. Again, I think that's the interesting thing about it's not like really depressing, but you, you know you need to check. It's like unsatisfactory. Oh God, this is unsatisfactory, and that is. Oh, you know, I think I'll just you know <laughs> lie down and give up. Um, but no, no, it's like it almost felt like a deeper enjoyment, a sense of the fleetingness of it. And yes, it's going to end. I'm going to have to get out and get back on dry land. Yeah. So unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory. It's like it's sort of I could feel that sense of somehow... Yeah, what, what's it like to just be here with that sense of not clinging? Not like, you know, that, like, I just want to live here. I just want to just leave me. I'll just, just, that'll be it, you know. <laughs> that that happens around the thing, the experiences, places, people, you know, here it's maybe the macaroni cheese or, you know, some other food that really floats your boat. It's like, yes, you know, if I just... And it was so it was so interesting to, to sort of consciously, intentionally bring that reflection in and see it kind of highlighted, I think, the sense of of delusion around pleasant Vedana. You know, it's like that that's pleasant and then that sense of the mind sort of borrowing into it, you know, and like yeah, making a home in it. It's like this is unsatisfying, it's not going to go on forever, oh, okay. And then somehow the mind lifting off and then there's more awareness. And in a way, I almost feel like there's a deeper appreciation of the beauty of it, of the privilege of it, of the you know miraculousness of it, because of this reflection, this perception. So anyway, I, I I also had another experience of this recently, which was not, which kind of arose more naturally. Which again, as I was saying earlier, I think that this this happens quite quite organically in practice. And I, I maybe mention two things because sometimes I think it's the way that that waking up or the arising of wisdom sometimes feels like it sort of poops the party. It's like a party pooper or something. 
So, so you really, you know, can't quite disappear into the fantasy of, of, of chocolate or the sea or whatever it is, you know, of being, yeah, you know, it's got all the fairy dust on it, as one of my teachers says. And the sense of being able to feel the, so there's some loss there. There's some, there's some loss. There's some loss on some level of that kind of uh, relationship with getting and having pleasure. It's like, because there isn't there, something in us likes that. It's like, so some, you know, as we enjoy, yeah, I'm going to get that and get more of that and stay with that and organize that so that it's really nice. And, you know, it's like, whoa, very committed to that. Very, yeah, that's my, you know, that's my calling in life. Or, you know, probably somewhat exaggerating but can be very very unconscious so bringing the unsatisfactoriness um reflection i think also you know it doesn't it just reveals it highlights it's like oh it reveals more of the way that we are fabricating or we're constructing we're kind of making things into something and and again that can be maybe skillful and helpful one of my first revelations with this, you can tell I'm very much a sea creature and water and all that, but I was sitting by the sea in England and had this sense of sort of awareness of, oh, I love, I love the sea. It's so, and I feel so good when I'm here and look at the space and everything and it's so great. And then I remembered someone very close to me who, when he looks at the sea, he just sees like a big parking lot just doesn't do anything for him at all and then there's suddenly there was this realization of the constructing of the experience and I could feel like I could see how I could just stop fabricating and then it was just like this very different more neutral equanimous of plain almost but again then I could almost change gears and go back to oh it's so lovely and great and and then let it sort of calm down again and so the yeah it's so i for me for me can you hear the the me bit in there right and that's part of how this whole thing gets energized isn't it it's like around wanting or clinging to pleasant for me so i can keep it so you can hear in that can't you how all three of the three characteristics are being not very understood in that moment <laughs> or in those moments you know that there's the permanentizing and the trying to make you know and then there's the yeah the seeing it as 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 satisfying or so i can really like yeah land here and it's there and real and stable and then the me the i who who has it and so see, when allowing that to kind of fall apart, there was a sense of disappointment. So what I've, I've come to value this, and I think again, maybe repeatedly, you begin to sort of home into it, tune into it as not just, you know, an unpleasant reality, you've just got to buckle down and, you know, kind of put up with it, but something actually liberating, something opening, something like a a different way of being which is perhaps more characterized by calm and equanimity and a kind of openness and this sort of quiet be sort of quiet joy a kind of a, a joy of appreciation yeah so in the withdrawing of the projection 
there's this sort of wise disappointment, I think of it as wise disappointment, that then, um, yeah, is part maybe of how there's a more, mm, there's a relationship with life which is, yeah, it's just got more wisdom in it so we can enjoy, we can enjoy but not... um, yeah, not not be so, uh, and not needing to be so committed to uh, making it, um, getting it, keeping it, having it for me. Um, but we can appreciate. So I hope that makes some sense. Um, Rob Babea in the Seeing That Freeze, he says, through, so with regard to this practice, A natural letting go in the moment of seeing things as unsatisfactory. A lessening of the deep-rooted tendencies to constantly pick phenomena up, grasp after them, fuss over them, or try to get rid of them. So just, again, like hearing that, that kind of, oh, yeah. And then experiencing it. You know, and probably naturally, again, in your practice, like you can really see the 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 value of 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 really and noticing, appreciating that sense of things easing when when the yeah when things are less uh, um, yeah that are less being picked up. Yeah, and, gra- and grasp that. Perhaps, again, it's very connected with the nature, isn't it? It's more a sense of just being in the flow of experience. Yeah, so I'm not going to have time to share a lot of what I've brought, but I see. Um, I feel I've already touched on this second part about, and, and again, you can see in Rob's book on the chapter on Dukkha if you're interested, but something about... Um, this other side of um, dukkha, the stress. So this experience and, you know, whichever words, maybe this whole little family like you get in the dependent arising, you know, it's all this kind of mass of suffering, of craving and clinging and selfing and grasping and contracting. <laughs> like, this, you know, contraction. So... Being able to, different ways, and I'm just going to mention maybe just five ways that we can help to recognize, relax that, that contraction as a way of um, sort of the other side of sort of working very directly with the, the, this, this experience of, of stress that's created by this this grasping this 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 craving so one is just to just seeing it no and sort of naming it as that if you ever just i mean i don't know if it's going on for you right now and there's some sense of contraction in the in the mind in the body you know you might feel it in the body I mean, I think, yeah, it's different, different times. And sometimes it feels like it's a lot, it's happening a lot, or it's quite strong. And at times it can feel, it's like it just disappears or dissipates or becomes much, much more subtle. 
And that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, as, as we know, there can be a very, very subtle grasping at very subtle levels. And it's only as the, the meditation or the attention and the mind sort of quietens and refines that we can actually sort of begin to feel and know, recognize those, those deeper levels of, of clinging. Um, but wherever we are, can we, can we know and know it, recognize it as that? And I think this is, again, a really, really helpful. It can help us to, to unhook from the particulars, the this, the that, the story, the it's about this, and I, I'm, I'm holding on to that. It's more just like, what does holding feel like, right? So, so we're going to the energetic or the sort of bodily sense of it and working with it very directly, seeing it, maybe seeing it's a Nietzsche, seeing it's sort of, it's, it can feel quite solidified, but actually there's always going to be something that's changing. And part of this, sorry, I hope I'm not ramping on too much here, but, um, Part of this which is so important, and I know you know this, and, and, and it comes up in practice in so many different ways, that experience changes depending on how you relate to it. Right? <laughs> this is so important, isn't it? I mean, this is right at the core of the understanding of dukkha and the, and the path to freedom and the, this sense of how we see, so in this like picking up on this dukkha, this unsatisfactory or seeing seeing the stress and then how we relate to that, how we see it, so that's and how we relate to it so we could see, yeah, I mean that you could, two sort of could be two different sides, so for example um what happens when you can find a way, you can find the shift to say, okay, can I welcome this? Can I allow this? It's a sort of allowing, welcoming. Here it is, his craving, here's the contraction. What would it be like, you know? And it's just, again, as a, as a what, what happens? What happens? What can happen? And again, it's 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 a, a practice, isn't it? It's not. It's not none of none of these. And it's the danger with sort of techniques and things, and you sort of slap it on there and say, "Well, come on, change phenomena in the way that you're supposed to." Like I, I slap some welcoming on, and you're supposed to just you know go. Pfft. It doesn't always quite happen like that. But something, so again, different ways of responding, of shifting our relationship. What happens when we see it like this? Or what happens when, so again, rather than demanding or forcing, there's a sense of what might, just making space. You know, that sense of different possibility. And really noticing even in small ways. You know, sometimes I think when I'm really in a tight little contracted mess, that even a little bit of relaxation or a little bit of space, like, ah, oh, yes, there is hope. <laughs> like, and then that's, then it just grows and it grows from there. 
So when we feel, you know, and relaxing the body, relaxing the body, I know this is, I could, each one of these could be a whole talk. And how, oh, you know, <laughs> softening areas of the body or the belly, you know, just seeing whether we can invite gently little bit of relaxation or just, you know, like I often do with people, I... Some, I, you know, invite you to just feel your body on the chair. So upset, 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 thinking, 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 and then it's like, oh, what happens when you feel just simple feet on floor, bottom on chair? <sighs> yeah. And maybe, maybe we can, we can learn, we can begin to, again, in, in, in small ways, sometimes again, very obvious or very, you know, on a kind of more gross level and sometimes on a very, very subtle level that how we, how, how the relationship or the way of seeing actually changes the experience and this is opening into the understanding of emptiness. And in a way, this is where all three of these reflections or these perceptions of the, the three characteristics are kind of pointing, kind of can open us up, allow these um, deeper understandings of, of the, yeah, how experience and how dukkha particularly is, is, is put together and held in the moment, you know, in the here and now. And maybe sometimes we can, uh, yeah, realize, realize the truth and feel what that does. Yeah, feel what that opens up, what that gives, what that allows. Well... So let's see. I yeah, thank you. I want to thank you for your patient listening, and very much hope that some of this ha, ha, has been uh, helpful. And wondering how to end. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so many possibilities. Well, maybe I will close by sharing a teaching, part of a teaching from a very great Zen teacher, Suzuki Roshi, from this wonderful book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which I believe is in the library. Um, yeah, I'm not sure it is actually, anyway. Um, I'll have to get one for library. <laughs> So I, I, I think I'm I think I'm plumping for this after what I just said because I wanted to share a bit of what he says about the beginner's mind because it just somehow feels very relevant to what we've been talking about and the way that I hope our practice and our uh, can can maybe yeah bring us to this beginner's mind kind of. Yeah, so let me just share something from him. 
in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. In the beginner's mind, there is no thought, I have attained something. All self-centered thoughts limit our vast mind. When we have no thought of achievement, no thought of self, we are true beginners. Then we can really learn something. The beginner's mind is the mind of compassion. When our mind is compassionate, it is boundless. Dogen Zenji, the founder of our school, always emphasized how important it is to resume our boundless original mind. Then we are always true to ourselves, in sympathy with all beings, and can actually practice. So... May our practice be for the benefit of ourselves and others. May our practice deepen our capacity for compassion towards ourselves and others and the planet. May we have faith in practice and our great potential for awakening and healing and freedom. So thank you for your attention. Let's close our time together by chanting the reflections on the sharing of blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.